You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. That can't happen. That certainly can't happen. Yet, we take it so lightly. We take these miracles so lightly. We're overtaken by what I call spiritual dumbness. It's actually spiritual blindness. We want to see the miracles of God, but when we do, we question them. So we have to be open to what God wants to do. We have to have faith that God wants to do something in these last days. That God's going to do a mighty work in these last days. Are you suffering from spiritual blindness? As you listen to today's message from Pastor Dave, he shares with you the importance of staying open-minded to the things God wants to do in and through your life. God works miracles on a daily basis. Have the faith that in these last days, God is going to do a mighty work. Now here's Pastor Dave in the book of John chapter 9 as he begins his message, Was Blessed, Now See. Let's read beginning in verse 13 of John 9. They brought him who formerly was blind to the Pharisees. Now it was a Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees also asked him again how he had received his sight. He said to them, he put clay on my eyes, I washed and I saw, I see. Therefore, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. Others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such things? And there was a division among them. They said to the blind man again, what do you say about him because he opened your eyes? He said, he's a prophet. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him who had received his sight. And they asked him saying, is this your son who you say was born blind? Then how, how then does he see? His parents answered and said, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But by what means he now sees, we do not know. Or who opened his eyes, we do not know. He is of age, ask him. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had agreed already that if anyone confessed that he was Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, He is of age. Ask him. So they again called the man who was blind and said to him, Give God the glory. We know that this man is a sinner. And he said, answered and said to him, Whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. Then they said to him again, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to come to his disciples, become his disciples? Then they reviled him and said, you are his disciples, but we are Moses' disciples. We know that God spoke to Moses. As for this fellow, we do not know where he is from. The man answered and said to them, why, this is a marvelous thing, that you do not know where he is from, yet he has opened my eyes. 
Now we know that God does not hear sinners. But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. Since the world began, it has been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of one who was born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered and said to him, you are completely born in sins and you are teaching us. And they cast him out. So I want to begin this morning with a quote. And let's see if you can figure out who said this. Quote, I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I want to be. I am not what I hope to be in another world. But I am not what I once used to be. And by the grace of God, I am what I am. It's not the Apostle Paul. Not Peter. But good guesses. Good guesses. It's not Jesus either, because that's always the right answer in a Bible study. So it's not Jesus. It was written by a John, but a man named John Newton. John Newton, if you don't know, was an 18th century British slave trader. And in the midst of a terrific storm, as he was coming back with a boatload of African Americans to be slaves, he had a bad storm came upon the boat. He had a tremendous experience and a dramatic faith experience, and he gave his life to Jesus Christ. He eventually left the slave trade. He studied and became a pastor. But he also was known for writing hymns. He wrote one that you might know. It goes like this. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, but now I see. John Newton wrote that after he had been born again from, and delivered from the darkness that he was living in. So we've been making our way through the Gospel of John, and we're in chapter 9. Jesus has once again made the Pharisees angry by healing a man on the Sabbath. And this miracle healing has again caused controversy and has actually fueled the fire and the conflict between Jesus and the Pharisees. And we said last week, oh, how Jesus loved to take a poker and kind of poke the Pharisees and get them riled up when he was doing something. How he loved to stir them up and get them crazy. But what's interesting to me is that there are several categories represented here. There are several groups, if you will, represented here in our study this morning. First of all, you have the man who was blind but now sees. Secondly, the second group is a group of religious leaders, the Pharisees who think they see, but they're really blind. Let me give you another quote. Someone once said this to Helen Keller. What a pity you have no sight, unquote. Helen Keller, always quick to reply, said, Yes, but what a pity so many have sight, but do not see. Amen. In our study this morning, we're going to see a great contrast between these two. Those that were blind and see and those that think they see, but are clearly blind. The controversy continues. If you remember last week, the man's neighbors saw him who had received his sight, and they questioned, who is he? Look at verses 8 through 12 in chapter 9. Therefore the neighbors and those who previously had seen him, that he was blind, said, is this not he who was sat and begged? Some said, this is he. Others said, he's like him. He said, I am he. Therefore they said to him, how were your eyes open? He answered and said, a man called Jesus made clay, anointed my eyes and said to me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed 
and I received sight. And they asked him, where is he? He said, I don't know. Did these people ever really see this blind guy? It says they didn't know him. Who is he? Is this the blind guy? Looks like him. I don't know. And you know what? There may be some credence there because after all, this guy sat for who knows how long at the gate to the temple. He probably had his head down. He probably had his head covered. He didn't want to look at anybody in the eye. He couldn't. He was blind. But he probably sat there, and as they walked by, they probably didn't pay him any mind. They probably didn't even notice him. He was so unnoticeable sitting there all alone in the dark. They never gave him a second glance. And even though he's saying, I'm the guy. I'm the blind guy. I have sight now. They were caught up in their own unbelief. They couldn't believe that this could happen. Confusion was ruling the day. But sadly, the people weren't even concerned about the miracle. They could care less if this guy could see. This guy was blind since birth. He sees for the first time in who knows how long. We don't even know how old he was, but he was, we realized that he's probably an older man. They weren't concerned about that. They weren't giving God glory for the healing. They weren't giving God glory for the miracle. They were caught up in everything. They just wanted to know how did this happen. The neighbors, it's not him. Yes, it is. I don't know. You know I think this says a lot to us, so we have to be careful. Every one of us expect miracles in our lives. We all expect to see miracles from time to time, miracle healings, miracle things, but we don't. And then when something happens, we question it right away, don't we? We want to know, well, gee, is it really happening? For example, did you know that in the third world countries, over in countries that are mainly Muslim, Muslims are having visions? And they're having visions of Jesus Christ and they're coming to Christ. They're being born again. It's a fantastic, beautiful thing. But many over here in our culture go, oh, that can't happen. That certainly can't happen. But yet, we take it so lightly. We take these miracles so lightly. We're overtaken by what I call spiritual dumbness. It's actually spiritual blindness. We want to see the miracles of God, but when we do, we question them. See, we have to be open to what God wants to do. We have to have faith that God wants to do something in these last days, that God's going to do a mighty work in these last days. We don't know how it's going to happen. Are you going to say God can't give the Muslims visions of Jesus Christ? I'll disagree with you, because I believe he can. So we have to accept that. Then what we do, though, is we take everything we hear and see right back to Scripture. God has given visions to men before, haven't he? He's given things like that before. So it does kind of match up with Scripture's. We can't be people who go, don't bother me with the facts. My mind is made up. This was the attitude of the religious leaders. Their mind was made up. They were solid in what they knew, what they wanted to do. And the neighbors couldn't get satisfied with the answer. That's him. No, it's not. Looks like him. Well, he's standing there, hey, guys, it's me. Look around. So they did the next best thing for them, and they took, them, took him to the Pharisees. That's 13 through 15. They brought him who was formerly blind to the Pharisees, now, it was the Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. And that's an important point right here. Then the Pharisees also asked him again how he had received his sight. He said to them, he put clay on my eyes, I washed, and I see. What are these people trying to accomplish by taking this man to the Pharisees? What is their hope to accomplish? They're faced with something that they don't understand. They're faced with something that they really can't fathom. Was it a miracle or was it not? So let's take them to the Pharisees. Why? Well, the Pharisees were the custodians of the Jewish faith. They were supposed to know everything about God. In fact, they claimed to know everything about God. 
They claim that we know God. And what we know, we might tell you and we might not. Because we're pretty good. But if you put some money in the coffers, we might even tell you more. We're, we're pretty great. And it was right for them to take this man to the Pharisees. However, come to find out, the Pharisees were even more blind than they. Why? Well, let's look at it this way. You're living in the land of Oz and you want a brain. Where do you go? The wizard, right? We go to the wizard. But we know at the end of the movie, who's the wizard? He's a guy behind a curtain pulling all the strings, manipulating everything, isn't he? He's really not a wizard, right? He's just a guy. Well, that's who the Pharisees are. The Pharisees are men. They're just men who are manipulators. They manipulate the law. They manipulate the traditions, all for their own advantage. They're blind to the things of God. Everything they do is for their gain, so that they would look good to you. And so you would say, ooh, how holy are they? Oh, my. They were supposed to be Israel's guides to God. They were supposed to be the Gentiles' guides to God. So that's scripture-based. They were supposed to lead others to God. But I, I love Matthew 23, when Jesus just nails the Pharisees. I read it time and time again, and I just chuckle. I love it, because the entire chapter is Jesus just coming back at the Pharisees, and he's nailing them, and in... Chapter 23, verses 16, 17, 19, 24, and 26, Jesus calls these Pharisees blind guides and fools. Blind guides and fools. Why? Because they've taken the traditional things and they developed them and made these traditions part of their belief system. They've taken man's law and they've made it part of their belief system. They've come dogmatic about it and they put it into practice. For example... The Sabbath day. There's over 600 laws to say something about the Sabbath day. 600 laws about the Sabbath day. When what does this, can anybody repeat the commandment? Remember the Sabbath day and do what? Keep it holy. Period. 600 and some odd laws on the Sabbath day. What you can do, what you can't do. You can't even tie your shoes on the Sabbath day if they had shoestrings. You can't do these kind of things. They've taken all these dogmas and turned them into doctrines, and they've taken all these traditions, and they teach them as doctrine. And Jesus rails against them and calls them blind guides, fools for trying to lead Israel astray, how they will be responsible for that. But the Pharisees were on one right venue because looking at Jesus' miracle, trying to disprove it so intently, only proved that it really happened. It only proved that the man really did receive his sight. But again, just like the neighbors, just like the crowd, these Pharisees could care less about the miracle. They could care less about the miracle. They weren't walking around praising God that a blind man who was blind from birth could see. They weren't praising God at all. They wanted to know what happened, how did it happen, and who did it. And even more so, and why did he do it on the Sabbath? How dare him break one of our rules? What are our laws? They were more interested in who broke their law. See, the laws concerning the Sabbath were strict. When Jesus spat and made the clay, that was considered work. When he took the clay and put it in the man's eyes, that was considered work. Telling the man to go and wash, that was considered work. He couldn't do that. That was not allowed, according to their scriptures. 
It was a direct violation. How sad. Instead of praising God for the miracle, instead of praising God for this man having sight, these Pharisees once again had one thing and one thing only in mind. Let's get Jesus. Let's get him. Let's get him. Blind guys they were. They were blinded by their prejudices, and they were blinded by their pride. Here's the big tragedy. These guys knew the scriptures. These guys studied the scriptures. They were scripture hounds. They studied their scriptures. They would read the law. They would read the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch. They would read it. They would study it. They would look at Isaiah. They would study it. But they didn't care. They wouldn't humble themselves to accept Jesus as the Messiah. There's no way he could possibly be the Messiah because they didn't measure up to what they thought the Messiah would be. There's no way, even though he did this astonishing miracle, all they wanted to do was get to Jesus. And when these people brought this man to them, talking about Jesus, I could see glee in their eyes. Oh, boy, we got him now. All right, here we go. Come on, we're going to take care of this guy. From their standpoint, Jesus had broken a law, which was punishable by death. But the Pharisees couldn't even agree. I love this. Pharisees couldn't even agree with what was going on. Look at verse 16. Therefore, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not of God because he does not keep the Sabbath. Others said, how could a man who was a sinner do such things? And there was division among them. So they were bitter and back and forth. He's from God. No, he's not. Is too. Is not. Is too. I can just see it happening. They're arguing back and forth. Why? Because he doesn't look like a man from God. What I think a man from God would look like. My image of a man from God doesn't fit him. It's not him. He's not from where I think a man from God should be from. There's something about him that doesn't compute. We don't know where he's from. How can he be a man of God? He's nothing more than a sinner. How can a sinner perform these miracles? I don't know, but he does somehow. He must be Satan. He must be demonic. Why does he obey our rules? Does that sound familiar to anybody? How many people look around and go, that person cannot be a Christian because of all the tats they got on their arms, because of the piercings? Because their hair is pink with purple polka dots. They can't be a Christian. What's wrong with them? Back in the day, we used to say, you can't be a Christian because look how long their hair is. Hippie. Oh, my gosh. Can't be a Christian. We made those compliments. Come on. They're doing the same thing. What does a Christian look like? I don't know. Ask one. We have our own thing of what Christians are supposed to look like, what they're supposed to say, and that's how we can be fooled. Somebody walks in the church, praise God, brother. Yeah, hallelujah. Yeah, all right. Acts like a Christian. Next thing you know, they're out doing who knows what. Well, they fit our view, but no. Not a man of God. There's no way he can be a man of God. No way. But how can a sinner do these kind of signs? Listen to what one commentator I read said this. Quote, when people refuse to face evidence honestly but in fear evade the issue, then it is impossible to come to a unified conclusion. They're on opposite sides. The only thing that these guys could agree on, the only thing that these guys could agree on, and they were focused on this one thing, they were focused on this one thing, he broke the Sabbath. He broke the Sabbath. How can someone who breaks the Sabbath possibly be from God? They were focused, all right, but they were focused on the wrong thing. Someone broke their law. It's amazing that we can get so focused on one thing, but it could be the wrong thing, but we're still focused. Many people seem to major on what we call minor things. They major on the minor, and they want you to major on the minor. 
because they think it's important. They major on things that don't even have anything to do with our salvation, but they major on them. And they try to shove them down your throat as doctrine. They become dogmatic about it. you got to believe this. Well, wait a minute. What does that have to do with anything? But they major on the minor and not the, the major. What we need to major on is Christ and Christ crucified. Forgiveness of sin through the cross of Jesus Christ. That's what we major on. Everything else is going to play out. Everything else is going to play out. But we get so hung up majoring on the minor things, and because somebody else doesn't major on that with us, we're immediately against them. They can't be a Christian. They don't agree with me. But Jesus... Jesus was offering these religious leaders so much more. He was offering them so much more. He was offering them a spiritual rest that can only come from God himself. He was, they were offering something. And I love these Gospels. I just love reading them. In the beautiful Gospel of Matthew, in Matthew 11, you probably can quote the verses with me. In beginning in verse 28, Jesus is speaking. He says, come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Oh, my goodness. Jesus is standing before the crowd. He has just told the crowd and declared that the Father has delivered all things to me. He has given all things to the Son, and I'm the Son. And whoever the Son reveals the Father to, the Father gives them. So here it is. So now the Son of God is inviting these people to come to Him. The Son of God is inviting you today to come to Him. Come to Him. It's an invitation that is global. Come to Him, all who labor and all who are heavy laden. And sooner or later, the trials of this world are going to bog you down. Sooner or later, that anvil you've been carrying around is going to get too heavy. The cares of the world, the things that are happening, you're going to get so heavy, you're going to try to find someone to relieve that heaviness from you. And who you go to is extremely important. It's extremely important because this is the time when people go to the bottle. This is the time when people go to the pills. This is the time when people go to pornography or illicit sex or gambling or have an extramarital affair to, to fill the loneliness, to fill the void, to, to take away the pain, to take away all the things that are hurting from that you're hurting from. They go to these things instead of going to the one who is able to really take it away, Jesus Christ. But we try everything we can to ease that pain, to ease that problem. And Jesus is saying, come to me, come to me just like a little baby. Come to me as an infant and accept my Father's love. Accept it, because it's freely being given to you. Here the creator of the universe, the, the, the wonderful Savior of the world, is standing before these people and saying, come, come to me. God is telling you right now, come today. Life stinks. Sometimes it's too much to bear. Sometimes it's just too heavy to bear. Jesus is saying, Take my yoke. My yoke is easy. My burden's light. Take it upon yourself. Give me yours. I'll carry it. What's it say in Hebrews? Laying aside the weight. Laying aside the weight, it says. And the sin that so easily ensnares us. Fix our eyes on Jesus. You are a sure
The Gospel of John was written from a perspective that provides an eyewitness account of what happened during the life of Jesus here on earth. Different than the other three Gospels, John's book describes Jesus in ways that confirm him as the Son of God. There are things done and said that can only point to Jesus being far more powerful than what a human could do. In the Old Testament, God referred to himself as, I am. In this book, John recounts how Jesus said, I am the light of the world. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and I am the resurrection and the life. These were bold statements, but Jesus proved throughout his ministry that they were indeed true. He lived a life that compelled people to follow at that time, to seek him out, and to commit their lives. And we can also follow him today. If you missed any part of today's teaching, or you'd like to listen to additional messages from Pastor Dave, visit assurehoperadio.com. Perhaps you were listening, you realized that you have some questions about faith, and maybe even about salvation. We'd be happy to talk with you and provide some resources to answer your questions. Give us a call at 609-884-5821. Again, that's 609-884-5821. You can also click on the Jesus tab at assurehoperadio.com. This will provide you with a succinct picture of who Jesus is and how he can change your life. Thank you again for taking the time to learn about God's word today. We hope you'll join us again next time on Assure Hope.